welcome to episode three of The Future is Spoken, produced by the Digital Assistant Academy. This show accompanies the Digital Assistant Academy's course entitled Voice Interaction Design. If you register for the Voice Interaction Design course by October 16th, 2020, you will be eligible for a 15% discount on course fees. Enter the code D-A-L-A-U-N-C-H for your discount. That's D-A-L-A-U-N-C-H. We'll include these details in the show notes. In today's episode, Carrie Roberts, a conversational interface and branding specialist, discusses conversational interfaces and their design. She explores how they look and work. And importantly, she discusses inclusion, because an interface or chatbot has to be able to interact with everyone. Carrie is interviewed by host Sheila Cagill. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to The Future is Spoken. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. That's great. It's our pleasure. And we're looking forward to everything that you can share today. And before we jump into talking about conversational interfaces, can you tell us about yourself and, and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Carrie Roberts. I'm the owner of Branding Connection. And I like to say that I help entrepreneurs and businesses find what they're great at and amplify it. So I do brand and content marketing. Um, and that also includes a lot within the audio space, including podcasts, chatbots, and voice as well. Wow. So you, you have um, a finger in many different pies, it sounds as though, or from your perspective, would you say that they're somehow all related? Yeah, I think they're all related. I am always talking about, you know, companies finding what they're great at, what makes them unique, and then how do you amplify that? How do you put that into your conversation, into your content, into your audio, so that's kind of streamlined, whether someone's interacting with you on a chatbot, on a voice scale, on a podcast, on a blog, they have the same feeling about you and your brand throughout. Okay. So, did you begin in marketing and branding and then recently move into voice and conversational interfaces? So my uh, original background is in dance and health and fitness. I've been a dancer pretty much all of my life. And I worked in the wellness arena for a long time. I owned a dance studio for a long time. And I've always been about treating people well, treating myself well. How can we create more community? How can we get more voices heard? How can we connect people better? So the vehicle has been different, but the why behind it has been the same. And when I had the dance studio, one of the things that worked really well was really solidifying our brand, what made us unique, keeping that across all the content that we did. We instilled a chatbot that worked really well from a sales perspective, um, started a podcast that kind of exemplified what we did as well. And when I moved out of the state where that was, I really was like, you know, I really love this piece, this branding piece, this community piece, this content marketing piece, and kind of how can I help others? And then when it came to voice technology, I first heard about it through Gary Vaynerchuk. He had spoke about it on his podcast. And I was like, wow, this is another great way to connect us to the people and the things that we love and want most. And so I started getting more involved in it, um, attended Voice Summit, started working with Voice Summit, helped them build 
their brand and content and have interviewed countless people in all elements of voice technology. Um, and then actually worked with Voiceify to build a voice skill for my podcast that recently launched as well. So um, definitely coming at it from that kind of branding content standpoint, that conversational design standpoint. Wow, that's fascinating. What a fascinating background as well. So so to your life and your work, you bring this underlying philosophy of like self-care and care for others. Yeah, and I think it's also about I'm very big on inclusion and community and making sure all voices are heard and everyone is thought about that it's not just about one type of person, but really how can we reach everyone? And I think that's something with voice that is being worked on currently and something that will continue to be worked on and can be done in, in kind of a, a new and fascinating way. Wow. And inclusion and diversity, as you just mentioned, they're so important. I know this is a little bit of a digression, but Shyamla, uh, the, the Academy's founder, has mentioned that so much that Voice assistants don't speak to everyone. They don't include everyone. And that is something that's important for the industry. It is. And I think, you know, when we're talking about conversational interfaces, we want to think about who is interacting with that. Um, you know, when you're talking about people of a different cultures, different backgrounds, different languages, different genders, and then of course, different disabilities. How can your voice skill or your chatbot or your conversation be able to interact with everyone? And one of the things Shamal and I talked about recently when we did the uh, voice Tech Summit of India, I interviewed her um, along with someone from SoundHound. And one of the things that she talked about that they did really well at Ford was when they were doing the in-car voice assistance, when they're creating them for different parts of the world, they adjust them. So in India, she had talked about one of the things that was really important was it's really loud and the roads are really bumpy and you have to be able to create an interface that can really understand when people are talking. There's a variety of dialects in India. And another thing that's really important to India is cricket. And so the way that they developed voice in the car for Ford for India is very different than the way they may have done it for China or for the US. And so that's somebody that's really thinking, okay, how do we create this brand for this company but how do we adjust it with this demographic who's going to interact with it, which is really smart and how it should be done. Wow. So very forward thinking and uh, progressive in terms of including people and cultures and, and nuances that we all encounter when we travel, even in our own communities, actually, because they're so multicultural now. It is, you know, and I, I had spoken to a few other people about conversation design. And one of the things they talk about too is cultural nuances and differences in our language, which is a big reason why people who are in linguistics come into conversational design. This idea that you could say something in English and say it in J Japanese, for example, and you're saying the same thing, but the tones are different. And as your voice skill, as your interface, if it's something that is speaking, does it have that tone correct? You know, we're really thinking about not just different languages, but we're thinking about tone. We're also thinking about different dialects. We're thinking about how do you hear something? There's so much that goes into the interface that is beyond just what is written or what is spoken. Okay, good. Wow, that, that's fascinating, Kerry. Thanks for sharing that perspective. Now, let, let's jump into conversational interfaces. And when I first read that term, I thought, ooh, I felt intimidated. You know, it sounds very tech heavy. Got no idea what it really means. I understand the two words separately. So 
Could you begin by giving us a definition of conversational interfaces? I think the way that I define it, because I am not a technical person by trade, it's really about when you're building anything that is an AI conversation. So whether it's a voice or a chatbot, generally, those are the two that we're normally talking about here. It's really about the conversation that that AI is having, that computer system, if you want to think that way, is having with an individual. And so you're really thinking about if I'm interacting with a chatbot, it's not an actual human being. But when I interact with it, I want it to kind of feel a little bit human. Um, and that's similar with a voice skill interaction as well. So that's how I look at it is how do we interact with an AI, with a computer in a way that has somewhat of a human quality, but it's never going to be exactly. And how do we interact with the human in a way that's best for them and most efficient? So thanks for that that uh, definition, it's really good. And I think it's something that people will be able to relate to and connect with. And do you think it's true to say that conversational interfaces is kind of a broad umbrella term? And then within that, we have to go a little bit deeper and focus on the brand's personality and the specifics that we need for a given interface? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm sure someone who's more technical will define it a little bit differently. Um, but I do think, yes, it's a broad umbrella and there are many facets to it to make it robust and to make it efficient and to do it well, definitely. Okay. So from your perspective as someone who works in, in branding and in voice, can you tell us what makes a good conversational interface? So I think what makes a good conversational interface is one that really signifies the brand of the company who created it. So it's really unique to them so that when I feel like I'm interacting with it, I feel like I'm interacting with the kind of, you know, almost like a personification of somebody that might work there. Um, so everybody's going to have a different brand. Every person has a different brand. And then the other piece is that makes it really good is again, it has to be efficient. It has to be able to be helpful to the user that's interacting and it has to give them what they need and want in that moment. So all of those things, again, that's very broad um, and seems easier said than done. Uh, but those are the things you really want to be thinking about as a whole. Okay. So if you're interacting just for, by way of example, with uh, say an interface on the Honda website, you expect that personality to come through. And I guess maybe I'd define that as something that's kind of like slightly fun, but very um, reliable, strong brand persona, um, well-known, um, a great reputation. I don't think they've had any issues with uh, diesel fumes or anything like that, that some of the brands we won't mention have had. So you'd expect to find that personality behind the voice interface as soon as you begin interacting with it. Yeah, I think that's a good example. You know, Honda has different clients than Rolls-Royce, right? It's a, it's a different clientele. It's a different, it's this, they're all, both in the auto industry, um, but what they create, what they value, what's unique to them is different. And so the experience that I have with their conversational interfaces should feel different. Um, it's still, like I said, should be able, everybody should be able to access it. It should be efficient. It should be answering the right questions, giving the information I need, but it should be done in a way that showcases those two. And they are different and they should be different. So just like their commercials are different, 
their sound is going to be different. Their conversation is going to be different, just like their product is different. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper in terms of developing a conversational interface, which is something that many of the, the students at the Digital Assistant Academy will need to focus on. When an individual or a team begins working on creating a conversational interface, you've already touched on many of the different things that they need to consider. And as you said, it sounds simple, but often in life, the simplest things are complex. So where does one begin? Say you're starting to work with a new client, Kerry, and they say, you know, this is my brand. I'm a marketing agency. Um, you know, maybe it's a vineyard, say, in southern Ontario or California, any kind of brand. What, what do you start to do? So if the company is very clear on their brand and who they are and who they're trying to attract and uh, what their qualities are, I mean, that's already a huge piece that's done. Um, I have found a lot of companies are not there yet, but if somebody is very established, they are going to have that. So that's a great place. The next thing I would say to them is two things. Number one, what are the most frequently asked questions that you get? Um, and then number two, is there anything that your customers or potential customers would want or need that would be best in a voice first option. So we hear the term voice first quite often, and that basically means that voice first is the best option. So we want to make sure we're not making something redundant or it's making it harder, but it's making it easier. So for example, um, for the skill that I had uh, created with the company for my podcast, one of the things they had originally said was like, oh, we'll just make this skill um, just simple and play your podcast. And I said to them, I said, well, that's not helpful. They're already playing it on a platform. Now they've got to go to another platform to play it again. Like that's, that's not really what my listeners would need. So that wouldn't be a voice first thing. Um, but for me, it was about how can I organize the content? There's so much content. How can I organize where they can ask the assistant exactly what they're looking for? And that's what we've created. Um, so you really want to think about, okay, what's, what am I getting frequently asked? How can I do something that is going to be voice first best? Um, or again, if you're doing chatbots, something similar, it's just a little bit of a different interface. Obviously I've used chatbots for clients from a sales perspective where, you know, they say, okay, I keep asking, you know, the same questions over and over. I want to decrease my sales time. And so we created a chatbot to kind of get the answers that they need sooner so that they can have the conversation and kind of decrease the amount of time. So really those two things, what are frequently asked, what do customers need that would be done more efficiently and faster with a voice or chatbot? If it's slower than texting or email or looking on a website, then it's not the right solution for those two platforms. Mm. And you've made an important distinction there that it's really got to be easier for the customer, not simply because someone thinks, oh, if I have to answer that question again, I'll you know, do whatever. That's not the real reason to um, resolve an impatient staff member. It's really about making the journey as convenient and easy as possible for the client. It is. And I think, you know, with Shamala working for Ford, um, you know, with them being in the car, right? So voice is a little bit different there. If you can say to your car, hey, turn on the radio, 
tell me how to go here. You can just talk at it. You're going to be less distracted with having to push buttons. So that makes sense to have something in that space. Um, another company that had done it, it was a gas company, uh, I believe out in the UK. And one of the simple things that people wanted was they wanted to know, um, you know, uh, what the temperature was for the boiler is the is it can I turn it back on what's going on you know they wanted some of these frequently asked questions that they could just ask their assistant very quickly and that helped them tremendously so again it's going back what actually needs to be done here what do the customers need and is it faster doing it in this way if not it's not the right solution for this platform and so then the next step in terms of developing or designing the conversational interfaces is to what would it be to start putting down the dialogue or would it be working on the technical aspect of it where does the the process go next so i think each person's going to have something a little bit different and how they work because i am not the developer on that end I usually like to have a strategy. I like to have some of the conversations set up first and then work with the development team. But again, somebody might have a slightly different process. I think the process is really dependent on each individual and each company, but really the end result is what matters, just like anything else. Um, so for me, if I am working with an organization, I'm really going to do a lot of interviewing and asking questions. A lot of times I'll record them to get their answers, do some research on the company. Um, maybe I'll ask some of their customers. You really want to gather all the research you possibly can. And then I kind of go from big to small. So I kind of will write out uh, what do I think the, the big idea is here? What kind of flow do I want to put in? Um, what are the questions people are asking? And I'll kind of create it in like a big way and then make it smaller each time. One of the things I will say that's different from a chatbot or a Google search versus a voice search or a voice skill is the way that we communicate and have that conversation. The way that you speak to somebody, the way you and I are right now, is not the same that I would probably text you. So that's something you wanna be thinking of as well. So when I'm going through, I will have conversations and say, would somebody actually say this out loud? If not, then it's probably not the right conversation to be writing for a voice skill. Maybe it is for a chatbot, but you really want to be thinking about, okay, would somebody ask this question? So for example, if I go onto Google on my computer and I search for something and I'm searching for um, maybe events on Friday, I'm not going to actually say that to my voice skill. The difference might be, what events are happening this Friday in my area? Versus when I type it in, it's a couple words, but we really want to be thinking of a sentence when it comes to voice. So from big to small, again, interviewing people, gathering all the research you need, and then going through, okay, what's kind of the flow here from a basic standpoint, writing what are some of these questions here, and then I would go to my development team and say, okay, here's the, the concept I have, here's what I'm thinking, and then for them to say, okay, we can do this, we can't do this. What if we do it this way? You have to have a conversation to see what will work from a development phase as well as what is appropriate for uh, Google and Amazon Alexa if that's what you're using, unless you're developing your own. And then it's kind of a back and forth little by little. So again, I'm, I'm kind of making it uh, sound very easy. There's a lot of processes, but really going from that big to small is how I would first describe that. Mm. No, that makes sense the way you described it. And, and the point that you made about 
you know, would someone ask this as a question? It's so important. That's the kind of thing that uh, uh, speechwriters uh, learn early on, that yes, it looks great on paper, but you know, when the, the leader, the CEO, whomever reads it, you know, does it sound natural? Does it flow as the spoken word? And that's something that people who work in voice design must, must, must conquer that challenge. And yeah, you said it sounds easy, but of course it's not. It sounds like um, a lot of work. So the, the data gathering first, as much information as you can, and then narrowing things down as you go and coming up with what I would imagine the final conversation options, or do you call it a dialogue? Yeah, you can call it, call it a dialogue, a flow, conversation design. I think there's a lot of uh, different terms that are being used for it right now, because in some ways it's still new. Um, but yes, any of those would work. Hmm. And do you use any kind of focus group or individuals or clients to test out a, a company's um, dialogue or conversation that they've created before you actually make it live? Um, so it depends, again, on how big the company is, you know, if it's a smaller organization or it's an entrepreneur, you know, I'm just going to kind of work with them and we're kind of testing on the back end. Obviously, if it's a larger organization, you might want to do a focus group, like you said, test it out. I do think it's good to push something out. It's never going to be perfect. I think a lot of times people want everything to be exactly as it should be and perfect, but you want to put something out to test because you don't know if it's going to work until it is tested and then you get the feedback. So similar to how we look at Google Analytics, you do get feedback from the voice scale. So again, I'm talking specifically with voice here, but um, you get back to see who's saying excuse me, not who, but what is being said. We don't know who is saying it, but you get to see, okay, if somebody's asking, um, you know, how fast is this car? And that's being asked quite often and you don't have a piece in your conversation that answers that, that's a clue to say, okay, we need to create something that answers that. So it's important to make sure you're pushing something out, even if it's not perfect. And the other thing I would say is you want to crawl before you walk. So you want to kind of start simple, start easy, start small. How do people respond to that? How does that go? Then kind of go to the next level, then the next thing and continue to make it robust from there. I see. And do you, do you find that some companies or brands that you work with are a little bit afraid of that kind of error factor? Because to me, it would seem like really a natural thing to do to be open to that feedback and it shouldn't be viewed as an error if something needs to be changed or you decide to rework something it's a very much creative process isn't it it is i think um, again i think it depends on how large the company is it depends on what they feel comfortable with you know it always comes down to that i honestly think if the skill is coming, first of all, with good intentions. I do think it's important to get uh, a variety, this is where inclusion comes in, it comes in before we put it out, a variety of people to test it. Do they think something is not inclusive? Do they think it's offensive? Do they think there's an issue with it? Um, you know, you're not going to hit everybody, but maybe if you got 20 completely different people to test it and give their feedback, that might prevent some stuff as well. Um, just an example, a little while back, Twitter had put out uh, this option where you could do like kind of like this voice recording on Twitter and people could share it. So maybe if you wanted to share your voice or you couldn't type something short enough, you could kind of share something. 
And it was like, oh, this is great. Well, people who are hard of hearing or in the deaf community felt very left out. And that I think is an example of, I don't think anyone at Twitter did that intentionally. I don't know anyone that worked on it personally, but I think it's you know where somebody needs to come in and say, are we making this inclusive? Does this to our best of our ability, especially if you're a larger company and you have more people that are, are interacting and you have the, the budget to do so, did we do this in a way that would be super helpful or are we excluding someone? So that's kind of an example where something happened. Okay, maybe that was like, that wasn't the greatest, but it doesn't mean that um, they did it on purpose or that it was bad. Now it's feedback to say, let's go back to the drawing board. How do we adjust this? How do we make people who are hard of hearing or deaf included in this new feature? What can we do to test it and to fix it? And maybe we also have to ask their opinion. What do they think would be helpful for something like this? Mm. Yeah, as you said, I mean, people, organizations don't deliberately um, want to offend people. It's just might be a lack of knowledge or lack of awareness or sometimes you're caught up in the business plan or corporate goals that you you don't research enough so those are important points yeah now it's you know i just want to say on that too i think um uh you know there are people who are ux researchers and their job is to have an unbiased view and really look at the research not to support their idea but to look at the research as a whole um, and that's a really important skill to have. And, and again, if a team can afford that, that's great to have that person on your team as well. And this is where, again, my personal uh, feeling about treating people well, including people, but I think a lot of people share this, inclusion and diversity is about having a mix of people and a mix of thought. A lot of people tend to bring people that are similar to them on and yes, you want to have the same values and goals, but you want people that have different ideas and different perspectives. Um, that is how you create something that is global and that reaches everyone. And I think that is one of the biggest challenges of voice is everyone should be able to use it. It's going to be, I think, a, a little while before we get there where it does feel inclusive for every single person, but that is the ultimate goal. And that starts with having your team and the people you hire and the people you involve that have a diversity in thought and in background as well. Oh, they're such important points. Thanks for adding those, Kerry. Very valuable. Now, are there any um, books or resources that you would recommend to people who are approaching uh, voice design and conversational interfaces in particular for the first time. Anything that you like to rely on, sorry, such as a podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. or, yeah. I think uh, because in some ways voice has been around for a while, but it's still a very new space. And I think one of the best ways that we can learn is from other people. Um, many people know voicebots.ai. Brett Kinsella does a great job of providing just kind of the latest voice news. So that's really good. Um, Joan, who is the owner of Women in Voice, she is a linguist and a researcher and designer herself. And that is a great group as well for people to ask questions and resources. And so I think, you know, when you attend different um, voice events, whether they're online or eventually in person, when we go back to that, it's really about, again, having conversations in real life. How do you get better at conversations conversational interfaces, you talk to real people. So have conversations with different people in the space. What are you doing? Or what do you think about this? 
talk to people that are outside of voice. There are a lot of people that still don't even know what it is. You know, what would get them to use it? What's missing? So I think having conversations with real people, um, looking for various voice events, like I said, Women in Voice is great, um, voicebot.ai, and there's a lot of other podcasts and events that are great resources as well. Oh, that's great. Thank you. And before we wrap up, Kerry, is there any guidance that you would offer to students who are starting the academy, they're getting set to take this first course, voice interaction design, what, what kind of guiding words would you give them on conversational interfaces or, or their career in voice design as a whole? I think the biggest advice I can give is to stay curious. Technology is constantly changing and there are a variety of people in this world with various experiences. So the more you stay curious, the more you're open to learning, to not get attached to one idea or one way of doing something, the better you will be as a designer, as a conversationalist, as anyone who is involved in this space. And always make sure that you are trying to think about how can I make sure more people are included? Have I done the best I can to include as many people that can use this particular interface? So I think the first thing I would say is to constantly stay curious and always be learning. Technology is constantly changing all the time. And there are a variety of people in this world that have had different experiences and live different lives and have different ways of thought. So it's really important to be able to be curious, be open, be willing to learn and not just get stuck in our one way of doing things. I think the other piece is to continue to have real conversations with real people. Make sure that you're always asking yourself, is this skill that I'm doing to the best of my ability, to the budget that I've been allowed, able to include as many people as possible? That's fantastic. What, what great guidance. Um, I think that will really help people and such important points to remember. So thanks so much, Kerry. Thank it was you. A yeah, you're welcome. It was a pleasure speaking with you today and I'm sure we'll feature you again in the future is spoken. Thank so, you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Take care of yourself and uh, look forward to connecting again soon. Thanks for listening today. Remember, you can find all the information on how to become a certified voice interaction designer along with show notes and more at our website, digitalassistant.academy. That's digitalassistant.academy. Pre-register before the Academy's launch in October for a 15% discount by entering the discount code D-A-L-A-U-N-C-H. That's a 15% discount with the code D-A-Launch. In our next episode, we'll be exploring voice design strategies and how to create them with Strategy Pro, Sina Karhan. Be sure to listen.